Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I want down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? As the Manchester United players left the pitch yesterday to a raucous reception from the home supporters, Dave Jones on Sky Sports wondered aloud how long had it been since we witnessed such scenes at Old Trafford. <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a really obvious answer as well. Well, I was going to go further back than that. I was going to go back to the late Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The, no, the mid Ole Gunnar Solskjaer era. Mid to late when they had him finishing in second place. It's just the season before last. Was, it as, was that as recently as that? Off the back of stirring counter-attack performances, eerily similar to what we saw yesterday. It feels like United have gone a very expensive, very roundabout route to reproducing a version of Solskjaer Ball. But the way things were looking after two games of this season, you'd have to say Solskjaer Ball will do for now. Welcome to the football pod. Hi, guys. Oh, no, hey, how's it going? So, yeah, it appears Eric Ten Hag has completely abandoned all his footballing principles. <laughs> you know, they beat Arsenal. His, his guiding principle is victories. Oh, yeah. Remember all that stuff I was telling you about passing it out from the back, David? Yeah, no, just get it launched there, mate. Mm. Marcus, don't worry so much about the high press thing. Just get... You just run on the end of these pinpoint passes that Bruno's going to send through to... Hey, it's a, I'm not... Well, it sounds like I am sneering it. I just find it hilarious how basic it is, but it's working over the last few weeks and happy <laughs> to days. To be fair, Owen, um, David Gea did start the move for the first goal with a pass to uh, his left back. Shut me up. Um, although they were... You know, it wasn't there wasn't a lot of let's let's get all our ducks in a row in the six yard box and start playing out from here with goal. There was not that, but you know, it's it, you could say part of it is what's being done, mm-hmm. but a bigger part of it is who's doing the thing, mm. right? And I just feel with Eric Ten Hag, uh, I mean, there's you know per, the perception is important. Like without the results, Ten Hag is you know a bald fraud. Uh, it's you know this guy. What do we think? Bringing in a guy from the Eredivisie, these guys, they don't know. It's a different game over there. They never make the step up. You know that's what happens mm. if if they're losing. If they're, whereas if they're winning, it's like you know it's about to, it's happening. 
You know. Arch, pragmatist, uh, Arch pragmatist Eric Ten Hag gets the job done, but it's not. It's it's you know it's the thing of if you if you get a you know reputation for getting up early, you can stay in bed all day or whatever. I mean, people will assume that Eric Ten Hag is building towards something. Whereas with Solskjaer, there wasn't really that. It was okay. Okay, what now? You know, I mean, in fairness. When Solskjaer took over, there was obviously incredible results, and um, you know that's why he got the the contract in the end. I mean, he was only supposed to be a stopgap, and then they said, "Oh, actually, he can really do it." But there wasn't when things started to go badly. There, there wasn't that sort of sense of, you know, uh, he's shown that he can do this. He hadn't shown that he he could yeah. do it. You know what I mean? So, whereas whereas Ten Hag, I think, ha- is is always going to have that. You know in his in his favor and you know when you get good results no one's going to be complaining you know i mean you just had keen <laughs> keen really enjoying it it's funny actually when you see keen and how much pleasure he was taking in taunting arsenal especially after the game especially merce that like how difficult it must have been for him throughout these years you know what mm. i mean like i mean he, he obviously he he talks to players or he he talks about their lack of you know basic mm. Manchester Unitedness, <laughs> but he has been uh, he, he obviously does uh, he certainly he enjoys it when they win so he, he must have been suffering a lot he's a good front runner you know he like you know when, when United are going well he's good at that as well yeah. but he, sometimes he just needs a foil and Paul Merson was a perfect foil for my <laughs> thought on Sky Sports yesterday in that he was you know, Merce is just, he's, he was just going to go for, you know, Arsenal were bossing it. I'd have taken Ericsson off. He was getting bossed around the park. It was just, it was perfect. And Merce <laughs> was... taking Ericsson off. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah, yeah. After Ericsson had politely come along and done yeah, the yeah, interview. Yeah. I thought Ericsson was pretty funny in that as well. Yeah, he yeah. Was. When he's asked to analyse the Bruno the Fernandez Bruno. pass, yeah. why isn't he using his left foot? Would you, would you say that? Would you say that? <laughs> he's extremely deadpan in his uh, comedic delivery. Is Christian Ericsson? I was laughing a lot more at Adam yesterday than I was after the Ireland game. Well, as Roy Keane alluded yeah. to, indeed. Yeah. Mark Critchley was at Old Trafford. He's going to be on the show today, and after that, we'll hear from Kieran Canning about Celtic's four 0 thrashing of Rangers. The perfect prep for tomorrow night's visit of Real Madrid in the Champions League. Speaking of which, to hear our Champions League coverage during the week, you will of course need to be a member of the Second Captains World Service. You can become just that in only a couple of minutes by visiting secondcaptains.com. Kieran is a little uh, perturbed, really, about you know the Celtic Real Madrid. Just Madrid's knack of beating better teams in the Champions League has him worried ahead of the <laughs> Celtic, but uh, it's it's looking like a pretty tasty game tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk about that later. What was happening? Well, you know the the obviously this another brilliant result for Manchester United. Um, put it in the bin, guys. There's nothing you can do now, guys. That's what that's what Michael Arteta. I'm pretty sure will have been saying uh, to his players after the game. That's what he says when things go wrong for Arsenal. Um, and you know you need to uh, maybe they'll do one of those video analysis. Uh, I don't know if you again you haven't seen it, but Arsenal have have a Dutch coach Albert Stauvenberg who uh, sometimes sits down with the players one-on-one and goes through some of the stuff uh, that they've been doing and things they, they can do, little tips maybe off, that he can offer them and what they can do, things they can maybe do better. Um, so sorry, this guy's like a performance coach type or, or a tactical football. He's one of the, he, he's one of the co- he's the assistant manager maybe. Okay. Um, they uh, and uh, you know he'll sit down and say you know you can do this you can do that you're a great player and, and our job is to 
is, is so that the whole world can realize that. You know, that's what we're here to do. And I can just imagine sitting down at Odegaard and saying, listen, the next time you're in this position, the ball being played to you from, from the side, eight yards out from goal, kick it into the goal. Just <laughs> kick it in there. Please, just kick that one in. Um, because Odegaard was, you know, I thought generally very good in the game. Um, he's He's got this great ability when to receive passes in an unexpected way, like often letting the ball kind of run through him and sort of turning. And he's really, you know, really helps to unsettle the defense, but he missed a huge chance. Okay, it was only 1 0, and Arsenal did go on to equalize from that point. And I think he saw with the, with the Arsenal fans that they thought we're going to do this now. Because, you know, there's that famous statistic about United mm. never lose when they're winning at half time. Yeah. No matter how often I hear it, I always reckon it's still, it must be like 92 or something, but it actually does go back to 1984. 84. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's incredible statistic. And, uh, and, and really Arsenal looked at, at, at the moment when they equalised, like they were going to go on and win this mm. game. Uh, and then just another sucker punch, bang, you're, you're knocked out. And then uh, Arteta decides, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this, makes a triple substitution and then immediately... <laughs> Immediately the third goal, so that obviously wasn't great. Were you? Was that a mistake? Where you? Do you look back and that? No, no, that was exactly the right thing to do. We yeah. just we just conceded a minute afterwards. That was the problem. Yeah, I mean, I said a quite kind of quite a snippy Arteta post match. Well, I, you know, it was a pretty disappointing. You know, because he like Klopp was was saying, well, we should have won the game. And you're like, well, you you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda, and that that was when when that was for Kane took the. Uh, you know, took the opportunity yes. to... Yeah, because <laughs> I really feel like he was happy enough to be like, you know, Arsenal were pretty good today. You know, it didn't work out for them. But then there was like... Until one... Arsenal said that. Yeah, yeah. Then <laughs> the second Arsenal said that, he was like, actually, hold on a minute. You're talking shite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so he he was complaining, Arteta was complaining a little bit about this was one of the many, many millions of VAR... Uh, incidents over the weekend and people have been like saying don't talk about this because it's so boring I don't want to listen to this so don't talk about it yeah, literally advance warnings from our listeners so apologies to Owen Doherty and Will Ryan in particular here who tweeted tweeted me and you in advance again to ask please please no. please don't talk about it but like there's not there's not that much else to talk about this weekend <laughs> you know what I mean it was just well I mean it's, it's, it's not even so much that okay there were a couple of bad like there were game defining Var decisions in several different matches, yeah. like so many that I'm sitting here thinking, "Well, I can't." I actually, there's so many that I don't have them all in my head. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's like Lee Mason had his fingerprints on a few of them. You know, people were going on about Lee. You know, full time VAR official Lee Mason who just sits there, um, you know, remotely ruining matches. <laughs> <laughs> but the the Martinelli goal was a, an absolutely brilliant goal by Arsenal, where Saka a, a perfect pass by Saka, and then an amazing finish on the run by Martinelli which was then ruled out for a foul by Odegaard and Eriksson, which was a foul, right? That's, I mean, in, in my opinion, there's nothing actually controversial about the decision. What is, what, what obviously sticks in the craw, though, from Arsenal's point of view, is the fact that this foul has been just waved along for much of the season. I mean, that's been the whole, that's been the whole, we got our game back thing you know you can we got our game back our game is about pushing people over from behind and then you know running away with the ball and we've got that back but then when it actually happens and it leads to a goal which for Arsenal was was a huge you know a, a match defining moment uh they decide to rule it out but also weirdly uh the referee was staring at it for so long 
Like, it's a simple decision. It's like he pushed him over. He doesn't actually get the ball. Like, Erickson goes down a little bit weakly. You know, I mean, you, you had like, I mean, it was this, was it Shearer over the weekend saying, well, we need to get ex-pros involved? Danny yeah. Murphy. It was Danny Murphy. Do Danny ex-pros Murphy, Danny want Murphy. to get involved? Do, do, how many ex-pros want to be referees? I don't know. Maybe they, they do. Historically, or, none. Or is he talking <laughs> about getting involved? Yeah. I can't think of any examples. Exactly. It's like, okay, Danny, who are these people? But I mean, also, and, and if they do want to get involved, then... Is he saying they should go straight onto the VAR panel, or is he because you obviously have to work your way? But do you have to work your way up? I see. Maybe so. maybe you can just ignore all that. You can be an ex-pro and go straight into the VAR box. Just drop, just drop Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank in there, right in the mix. Of Jimmy the Floyd was like, oh, "That's not a foul." Like, well, I mean, it is a foul. Like he runs into him from behind. You know, he kind of he Erickson is trying to move his right his right leg forward, and Odegaard stops him doing that. So he sort of trips over and, and like miscontrols the ball to Saka, I guess it was, and. So it's a foul. But for some reason, the referee has to look at this for ages. I mean, he's the guy who's originally just let it go. Mm. And then he's kind of going, do I have to disallow this? Because, you know, I'm obviously it looks like my mistake if I do. But okay, I mean, so really obviously a foul. But it's just, this is what happens when you, when you decide, okay, randomly, we're just going to enforce some of these. And if it's an important one, uh, you know, which leads to go, yeah, we'll... So it's just, it's a totally ridiculous situation. But obviously there was a lot of the game to go. From that point, it was still nil-nil. You know, Arsenal had the better, continued to have the better game, just couldn't um, score, you know, couldn't kind of uh, put away these chances that they were making. Then when Manchester United made a chance, Anthony just swishes it into the net. Mm. Um, Which, uh, again, I mean, how much better is Bruno Fernandes, by the way, without... Cristiano Ronaldo and the team. I mean, his pass for the second goal was absolutely brilliant. Um, this was the one that Ericsson was joking about, should he have used his left foot. Yeah. But the way that he kind of read the, the direction of Arsenal's movement, the, the movement of the Arsenal back line, and played the ball against that movement to catch them, you know, basically it, it was the pass just went, beat them, and Rashford just kind of catapulted through and was able to score, even though his control wasn't that good. Like, he kind of... He, he he didn't go onto it as smoothly as, as really he, he would have liked. Um, it was just an amazing... Now, it helps if the player that you're playing the ball through to can actually run onto the pass, which I feel has been a problem for Bruno, you know, in the Ronaldo era at Manchester United. But he has now scored 23, or rather, I saw Optus out of 23 assists from open play, which is more than anyone else um, in the Premier League since he arrived in the Premier League, which is phenomenal when you consider yeah. the obvious player that everyone is going to think. Yeah. I thought the Ericsson-Bruno thing looked like it could work long term as well to them playing yeah in the same midfield uh, which seems like a luxury in some ways but I suppose you've got your McTominay in there uh, to to give them a Well team. Eric Ericsson is just so perceptive with his use of the ball I mean and and okay so he, he, he it was his pass really that that creates the the unbalanced situation for Arsenal that uh, that led to the first goal then obviously his run for the third goal uh, I think he passed it to Bruno for the second goal as well. Mm-hmm. If you remember the Liverpool game, he was the one who who opened up uh, the chance for Sancho's goal in that game. And yeah, I mean, he's uh, it was a great signing, you know. I mean, to, to and and he's also you know physically he looks good. I mean, this is the thing about Eriksson. I mean, obviously he had this traumatic uh, uh, incident, which immediately then everyone sort of puts a question mark. Is this guy going to be able to play at the same type of level after after this crazy thing that happened? But when you look at his record throughout his career, he's always been one of the top runners on the field. You know, he's always been like a, an absolute uh, long distance runner in games, and he's still able to do that. Yeah, it's also just 
a matter of how long it takes to get back to the physical level that he was at, regardless yeah. of how traumatic his thing was, even if it's just any... Just the, any, the absence. Yeah, any serious yeah, yeah. injury that leaves out of football for that long. Uh, you could see it in the early days at Brentford, even though he was getting there, it didn't seem like his touch was quite the same for the first few games and, and maybe There's wasn't also quite I'm getting sure. around the park as much as he yeah. does. All that kind of, and even at that, he was still making a huge impact and kept yeah. them up almost single-handedly. So it shows how good he can be when he's anywhere near back to his best, which he seems yeah, to be getting at Man United. That's kind of... I know the point you're making about it existing independent of the reason for his absence mm. but then I think as well it's only a human reaction to be very very careful about testing the boundaries of yeah. your of your physical limits for a you long know, time you don't you know what's going to happen yeah, yeah yeah whereas now having like a body of work after uh, the heart incident he knows now like he, he he trusts his body again I think and I think that you can actually really see that in the, even in the last couple of games yeah um, so that was that but uh, I mean I this was an example of a game actually where the the refereeing wasn't bad. Ultimately, you know, it, it was normal. I would say uh, it's just it's just the context that made that first goal a little bit more controversial than it should have. The first disallowed goal, mm. I should say, be more controversial than it should have been. Um, and in this respect, it was maybe the best refereed match because again, okay, we don't want to talk about the referees, but when but when these things happen, I mean, you just there's nothing else you can say. I mean, the Leicester. Uh, Brighton game had some of the most ridiculous stuff. I mean, there was one. It, the Alexis McAllister scored a goal in this game, which oh. was the best shot. That like he absolutely Stephen Reeded this ball. It was unbelievable. It was inc- it was it was everyone was just brought that down. And then it's it's disallowed for like the most trivial offside, which where it's even arguable that like. I mean, number number one, they can't get a clear picture of the offside incident. They take age, they take forever to try and to, to guess an approximation of where people are offside. So they can't even tell for sure that it is. And then the guy who they who they're saying is offside doesn't actually touch the ball. They could have waved that one through mm. pretty easily. I feel. I mean, there was you know there there have been other the I, I think of the the own goal that Bournemouth scored against Liverpool the other week, and that was one where Mepham, the defender clearly is only doing this because of the offside Luis Diaz. But Diaz, Diaz again, he doesn't touch the ball. I guess the difference is he's the other side of the defender rather than sort of, you know, interfering with the defenders, you know, trying to get the ball before it gets there. And that it just seems such a trifling difference. Mm. One of them is offside and one of them isn't. Anyway, so very importantly, that magnificent uh, goal of the season goal was was ruled out. McAllister had to make do then with a, a 25-yard screamer <laughs> of a free kick. Which was, which was a, a totally different type of strike, but equally magnificent. You know, I mean, he and he scored a brilliant one last season as well, I think, uh, McAllister. He really is able to hit them. But there was ridiculous decisions in this game. I mean, there was a, a Madison chopped down one of the uh, Brighton. I mean, it was four two, so it didn't really affect it. It was already four two. It's blatant penalty, and not given. Uh, I have no idea how or why, uh, but yeah, Leicester are in uh, are in pretty deep, they deep are. trouble. We got an email in about that actually from our friend Lucy Barnes. Who do you remember Lucy getting in touch yes. after the season preview? She was disgusted with yourself and John Bruin speculating about Leicester possibly being in the relegation fight but uh, she now feels she said I offered this up as a hostage hostage to fortune and it appears that fortune has enthusiastically accepted my hostage and is inflicting horrible punishments on it now there's a lot there's a there's a lot of 
I'm going to say Lucy's not a big fan of Brendan Rodgers' work at the moment. Well, she, she's a lesser fan. Mm. Yeah, I know, but I mean, isn't this the man who brought them to FA Cup glory, almost into the Champions League and to, mm. to different occasions? Almost. He's done a lot for the club. Almost. Fifth is pretty good for Leicester, is what I'm saying. But anyway, that seems to be forgotten. Lucy says... Unfortunately, Brendan seems to agree with Ken and John, repeatedly suggesting that his players aren't good enough and the lack of new arrivals this summer has led to fan frustration. Rather than this frustration being caused by watching previously capable and confident players unable to hang on to a lead, unable to avoid defeat against 10 men and unable to score a goal against struggling League 2 opposition. Perhaps we should have followed last summer's blueprint when we brought in four new players who Rodgers has usually tended to stick on the bench or leave out of the squad. I can only hope that our Deadland Day purchase of curly-haired David Luiz impressionist Vout Fass is enough to appease the angry transfer gods and get us out of trouble. Although it hasn't impressed Rodgers, who has said that his motley crew of clown-footed FA Cup winners and European semi-finalists are targeting the 40-point mark this season. It seems increasingly possible that the club will seek the change that Rodgers has been asking for by shipping him out for a new manager, surely the greatest sacrifice of all. Yeah, I mean, it, it did sound as though Rodgers was... I mean, we were talking about it last week that, that he he had used the magic words specifically designed to, to uh, eject himself from the job of what well, we haven't had the support. But, I, you know, they obviously didn't take the bait. And then, then they get another terrible result. I mean, the four players that Lucy refers to last season they brought in were Daka, who actually scored in the game the weekend, Samari, who played, Vestergaard, who hasn't played much, and Ryan Bertrand. Um, you know, so they were the guys they signed last year. Uh, I actually think the transfer window that wasn't as bad for Leicester as I was thinking it was going to be because at the time when we were talking about that it looked as though Madison was going to go to Newcastle Tielemans was they were talking about him moving as well um, and Vardy even I think had been linked to the move um, Madison and Tielemans whatever about Vardy at this point uh, are huge players for Leicester and they're both still there so you know, I, they I, did lose Fofana and Schmeichel, though. They lost. They lost. They lost <laughs> Fofana. I mean, it's, their yeah, it's not great, but you know, they've got someone in to, to replace. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that it's not as it. It didn't turn out as badly as I was as I was thinking. If you've still got those players, there's no way that they should be. I, mean, I was thinking if they if they lose them and don't get anyone, then yeah. I don't know what they're going to mm. do. But they've still got them, so. Um, I assume with that, a new manager, they can still easily finish seventh yeah. or eighth. Well, they can. They can finish. 10th I, I I mean I don't know I, I find it hard to imagine finishing seventh. they've lost 5 games like already mm. <laughs> 5 out of 6 you can lose a lot of games and finish 8th in the Premier League a lot of games yeah mm. no you can't you, they would need to I'm sure Lucy turn is it around. hopeful is thankful Murph for your interjection but I do feel that I this mean, is a relegation battle for Leicester one thing first. does have to happen first though yeah they've, they've know, they're also Brendan's, Brendan's tried Brendan's done all he can to get, to get out, out, there. out of there. <laughs> so now Leicester have to step up and do the job that he couldn't. They're also due to announce uh, apparently the biggest loss in the Premier League um, for, for last season, like nearly £120 million loss. So that explains, I guess, their um, attitude, uh, their their attitude to reinforcements. So, you know, let's make do with what, let's focus on coaching and training the team. So that is... Uh, so come on, when are we going to get to Chelsea and West Ham? Well, I mean, this, poor Moisey. Again, it's just. I mean, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm sorry, everyone. Moisey. I'm sorry. We don't. We can, We we don't want it to be here talking about VAR either. But the fact of the matter is, Moisey got screwed with his trousers on. Well, I mean, it. You know, he's described it as scandalous and rotten. <laughs> um, you know, which which I mean, it was ridiculous again. You know, and it's it's just you have to say fair play to Mendy, who did what he could in this situation. You know, he he pretended to be injured clearly he wasn't 
And Are you just heartbroken that your mistake? Mindy? This is one of the many problems at the moment because we've we've made the mistake, I think, of saying this ourselves on this podcast, and you hear it all the time. Oh, there's no point diving, or there's no point because, or there's no point doing X, Y, and Z because VAR is going to catch it anyway. Yeah. But actually, oh, VAR no. doesn't catch stuff. VAR gets stuff wrong all the time. Yeah. So you may as well try your luck, and you may as well go down like you've got a broken arm yeah. and hope for the best. Because if the ref doesn't give it to you, the VAR official there's possibly still will. A chance. There's still a chance. I mean. So, you know, people say, oh, it's not, it's not far, it's the people using it. No, it's, it's not. The, whoever you put using this is going to, like, make mistakes. You mean Howard Webb's do. not going to be the saviour? This is the big thing. Mike Riley's stepping down. Howard Webb is stepping up. I don't see in Howard w- Webb, Webb as, we trust. as being the, a magical, you know, ha- having... Announce Webb. <laughs> They've announced Webb, Murph. Just yeah, but get we, him in we there still want to see Webb. Yeah. Yeah. Get him in there. Um, what, are we, what are we waiting for? This is the best league in the world, Odd. <laughs> Get Howard Webb in there. That was, I mean, it was huge. And this is like a massive result for West Ham against, uh, obviously, in a derby match. Um, and instead, they end up losing a game that they had been winning. Uh, Declan Rice was giving, I prefer not to speak, all that. Mm. Um, if before I speak, speaking. I'm in big trouble. Before speaking and then tweeting. But I do, I do have sympathy with his... Uh, like, it's just... I mean, again, but it's it's just a subjective decision. Do you think this is a foul? It's not a foul. I mean, his, his, the boot of, of Jared Bowen sort of scuffs over Mendy as he jumps over him. Pfft, not a foul. And, uh, pfft, uh, I mean, this... Uh, it's probably I've read too many of those messages saying don't talk about this. It's you've, like, got, you've been it, rattled. Owen, head, Owen Darty and Will Ryan have rattled wow. you here again. You haven't even mentioned Coach Marsh yet. Coach, even more irate than <laughs> Coach Marsh, the bad boy coach. I'm telling you, he is. He is. I told you about he's this. a wrong. The moment I saw, the moment I he's saw trouble. him, he's put his, trouble. That lad. When the, uh, who was sent off? The Chelsea player who was sent off against Leeds, and he has his <laughs> fist in the <laughs> air, <laughs> eyes closed, <laughs> applauding, just <laughs> absolutely. I'm, I'm like, this guy's a dick. <laughs> he, oh, he's really got. Well, Murph, the oh, Premier League is. I've f- never heard you use such unparliamentary language. The Premier League is full of. Big characters yeah. to use the euphemism, and Jesse Marsh is another one of those. On the, He's the biggest the character line. you've ever seen, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah, now he, I mean, so he gets sent off for, I mean, he was whining and bitching for a lot of the game. Uh, you know, Leeds gave away a penalty for a foul on Ivan Tony, which I thought was a penalty. Mm. Um, fair enough, but then they should have had one. Uh, Somerville goes into the box, and it's just it's blatant again, just blatant. And I don't know if they decided it was outside or... I actually have forgotten that one. I am at the stage now where I've started... <laughs> well, there's, there's, there was just so many of them. Like, it was just, there was just so much nonsense. Uh, and that's why he got sent off. Uh, and again, I have a bit of sympathy for him, but, like, he obviously was sort of cruising for this. You know, this was, <laughs> this, this was written into his, yeah. into his script. Uh, and we know what happens when you get a red card. Uh, you have to... Uh, you can't play the next match. So he will miss... Um, I guess Leeds is, Leeds is next game. I don't know if they're going to appeal. He accused the referees of a lack of respect. But of course, you only get um, what you give. That's what you get for game. when you get ejected from the game. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to suffer the punishment. So he's, he was ejected from the game. So yeah, like, I mean, again, it was just a total mess. Apparently they're going to review this. Um, there are there are going to be... Oh, there's two specific ones. We haven't even mentioned the, the one of them that are going to... Uh, so the two they're going to review are the, the Cornet... Well, the, West Ham equaliser, which was disallowed, and then the uh, own goal by Palace against Newcastle, where oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Tyrick uh, Mitchell 
was the Palace defender who got his head on this ball into the box. So his it was a pretty it was a masterclass of defending by him. First of all, he pushes Joe Willock out of the way, and then he heads the ball into <laughs> into his own net. Um, Willock collides with the goalkeeper, uh, and that's and the foul is disallowed. Or the goal is disallowed because Willock has supposedly fouled the goalkeeper without any account taken mm. of the fact that he's been pushed into the goalkeeper by the guy who's just scored an own goal. So I mean, just insane. Like I mean, the kind of thing you could imagine a referee getting wrong in in real time, and then when you've actually had a chance to look at it, you're like, oh no, I see what happened here. Alan Shearer wanted a little bit more Jesse Marsh in Eddie Howe's response to this. Felt Eddie meek Eddie Howe was being a little bit too nice about the whole thing. Yeah, he's just standing there a little tense smile and uh, you know it's not ideal his his sort of um, cold <laughs> passive aggression doesn't quite yeah. <laughs> doesn't quite grab the attention of the officials in the in the manner that Jesse he would have liked waving to your arms around and shouting like a lunatic For, far yeah. better I mean I don't, I, Eddie Howe seems to have a pretty good disciplinary record in terms of his own standings off I can't remember him getting sent off too many times maybe um, maybe I've forgotten um, but yeah I mean again it, but it just goes to show like the, the and you see it often with these uh, decisions. That's the sort of tunnel vision people have when they look at the. Um, I mean, the the classic example is the Van Dyke injury against uh, Jordan Pickford. Mm. Um, obviously, came up against each other uh, in, the, in a game which we haven't even mentioned yet. Um, but where they reviewed this thing on VAR and. What you have is a massive foul by the goalkeeper of Van Dyke, which puts him out of the game for a year. <laughs> and all they are focused on is, is this offside? <laughs> you know, they're just they're just checking to see, is this is this thing offside? And once they've established, yeah, this is actually fractionally offside, that's the decision. There's nothing about yeah. what happens after the offside. He rolls around in agony into an offside position, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the uh, in, in this Palace one, it was like, all they're looking at is the way that Willock collides with the goalkeeper. And they're just looking at the, uh, well, he seems to have kind of gone into him a bit there. And literally just don't, like, it's blind to, the, to how that actually happened. They're just not looking at that. Um, and so you, so that's some, that, I think that explains sometimes a lot of these decisions. Then again, they take forever to, uh, you know, they obviously did that one quickly enough. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe they could and I mean, I, like, I know the instance that you're that you're talking about. I, you know, I have seen it where they're just, they, they do have a tunnel vision. But I, 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 I can't believe that that's happened in that scenario, in the Mitchell Willick one. Yeah. Because Willick is charges into him, but his body is not like, his body doesn't have the momentum of someone just charging into somebody. Yeah. He is, it has the momentum of, someone I'm running towards goal, and then I've just gotten a massive shove in midair, which means that his, his hip is out in front of his chin nearly. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's a, like it's such a terrible, terrible decision. Yeah, it was a lot of nonsense. Oh, it really was just Okay. Uh, it's not going to get any better. It's just getting worse. Um, but you've been banging that drum for a long number of years. Me and, and it Antonio gives you Conte. No, yeah, it gives you no pleasure Conte. to be this right, this this um, un, this startlingly one hundred and ten percent right on this issue. But it gives you no pleasure. And the, obviously, on um, Frank Lampard and Steve Jarrett, much maligned um, lions of the dugout, uh, both getting good results over the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, credit where credit is due. Uh, Kyle Walker became the latest Man City player to do the uh, thing where you ignore Erling Haaland. Oh, <laughs> Did you like, see his? <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it I was mean, comedy. I wish how, how, like, how much fun would it be to just have Haaland go over there and just throttle Kyle Walker just for like 10 seconds? You know, it's like he's not going to pass out or anything, but just Haaland just like grab him by the neck 
and just lift them off the ground six inches and just throttle them for ten seconds, pop them back on the ground and let Walker run back to his position. <laughs> and of course, there was. Well, how, do you think Kyle Walker would do something different the next time he's in position if Haaland had throttled him for ten seconds? In I think I think he'll Sorry, know, he'll he'll be spoken to about. It. He might have to sit down for a video session. Speaking's one thing, but a throttling is a whole another level. Yeah. yeah, and and obviously that game also had another terrible decision um, when a late Villa winner. Is, is ruled out. It's not really a, a winner. It's not. A, it's not a ruled out goal because the whistle is blown before the shot by Coutinho. And then you can argue over. Well, the city players have stopped. Well, I definitely here. would argue about that. That everyone's talking about it being a disallowed. Like everyone did stop playing, and then he just strolled along. And it's nice though, isn't it, to 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 just have that. To, to for for a linesman to randomly decide, I'm actually going to to be an old fashioned linesman here. Yeah. I feel this game could do with a bit of old fashioned linesmanship, so I'm going to ignore the whole thing of yeah, I'm not we're going to let this play. Now. I'm back to being a linesman as well. Yeah, I'm a lino, yeah, yeah. and I'm and I'm going to say that's offside. I'm confidently going to issue a wrong uh, decision <laughs> and cancel this attack before he has a chance to shoot. That which is which is what happens. So it was a nice moment um, f- from Manchester City's point of view but again a somewhat bewildering one uh when you consider all of the ways that they're supposed to be behaving to see to see them do that you're like well this is this isn't it okay mike riley howard webb it was a pleasure sharing this report and sport with you two guys what i thought was a seat was in fact a bunk top bunk coffin shaped i was like i do hope they turn the air conditioning on in this train i'm sweating quite profusely there was a sort of an old russian woman in the bunk underneath mine kind of grabbing at me like to get out of the bed no yet, 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 yet. She went to sort of the little service area of the carriage and came back with like a little packet of sheets. Fresh and clean. Yeah. And, oh. So good next to the skin. So good next to the skin. I said, oh, spasibo, spasibo, babushka. I tried to take the sheets. She's like, no, no, I have none of it. Started putting the sheets on the bed for me. I was like, trying to help. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was just lying on that sort of sticky, musty mattress thing. But it turns out that they give you like a whole pack of sheets that you can spread out. Fresh and clean. Yeah. And, oh. So good next to the skin, you Slept almost all the way to Moscow. So good next to the skin, Alan. What a nice way to pass six hours in train that was. Mark Critchley was at a boisterous Old Trafford yesterday for the Independent to watch the victory over Arsenal. Mark, good to talk to you as always. Good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. I was about to call it a morale-boosting victory, but morale had already been boosted, I guess, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it, it's just increased that further, and I, I guess this one felt a, a little bit, um, you know, a little bit like of a rubber stamping of what's been going on since the disastrous first couple of games of the season. You're always a bit reluctant with this Manchester United team to ever say that they turned the corner. I read that in the report yesterday, just because, and even now, now it feels ridiculous to even be raising that subject or using using those words to describe what's happening at the minute um, because there's obviously such a long way to go. But at the same time, I feel that um, you know the, the kind of response that they've had since since that Brentford game, it, it wasn't inevitable. That it, there was things that they had to put right in order to in order to react in this way. And just with every game that's gone along, you felt a little bit more confident that. Um, again not turning the corner as such but that at least the foundations and the brickwork that has been laid in place by Eric Ten Hag to 
to really build something going forward. Um, you, you picked up on the atmosphere yesterday. I thought it was brilliant from the first minute. Um, a real kind of throwback. And we always talk about the history of this fixture, but um, yesterday you could you could sense that inside the stadium as well. And um, I feel that just, you know, from that Liverpool game, things have really just picked up and taken off, really. And um, I think that's that's largely down to the the spirit, really, that I think the, that the new manager is trying to set in place. And you can see the evidence of that out on the pitch. I remember your um, Is This Sustainable piece last year where uh, this is sort of the late Solskjaer period when United were kind of consistently getting results despite being outplayed. And, you know, there was an, there's an element of that, you know, in, in the sense of if, if you take a crude measure like uh, possession or whatever, Arsenal did have most of the ball in this game. But, you know, United won the game 3-1, um, you know, in a similar kind of pattern to their, their victory over Liverpool. So uh, does this feel different? Uh, I mean, you know, and it, it, superficially similar maybe to, to what they've been doing before, but you feel it's, um, it's, uh, it's better somehow? I feel like you're absolutely right. Um, I don't know if it's superficially similar. I think it just genuinely is quite similar at the moment. Um, looking at the way that they attack on those two, on, on those three goals yesterday. Um, wrote a piece last night about just how you compare that and, and the Liverpool game to some of this is this is the kind of game plan that Solskjaer used, and um, the the difference really, I think, is that well, there's a few things that are different. I mean. With all due respect, I think Eric Ten Hag's coming with a with a greater pedigree than Solskjaer did, so he's got a bit more leeway. He's got, he's got a bit more leverage in the job from people at the start. Um, but also, when he's, he talks about the way that they're playing at the minute, um, he, he's talking about a process, and you know that's it, maybe it's a buzzword that managers use. <laughs> I think it's been used for Mikel Arteta as well in the past. But um, you you kind of quite genuinely and sincerely get the sense that. He, at the moment, the way that United are playing, this isn't his final vision of this isn't what how he pictured his United to play. I think that the way that the season started, those defeats, um, really kind of made clear that there's severe limitations to this squad still. It's still a hugely imbalanced squad. It was bloated. It's been cut down a little bit now. There's a lot of things that still, a lot of areas that still needs to be worked on with. And so, you know, I think there's this perception of Ten Hag because of the Ajax association, because of him working under Guardiola and observing Guardiola for a few years. There's this kind of idea that he's a guy who's an ideologue like Guardiola. He wants his teams to possess the ball. He wants to press. He wants, you know, this kind of progressive, expansive style of play. And while I think that United are probably working towards that and will be going towards that in the longer term, I think what he's shown over the past few weeks is a, is a side to his to his management style that is purely kind of pragmatism. And he's looked at the squad that he's got at his disposal. He's figured out ways, especially in these two games against Liverpool and Arsenal, of beating teams who will offer space in behind. And he's used that. And um, yeah, like you say, you know, possession is a really crude kind of way of looking at it. But just looking at it last night, obviously they've had less of the ball in these two games against Liverpool and Arsenal. Possession was around even in the Southampton and Leicester games as well, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, it was actually only in the other two, the two defeats, where they actually really dominated the ball. So I think he has, over the last few weeks, looked at the way the team's playing and said, we actually need to do things maybe a little bit different than I would have liked uh, straight away in order to 
in order to salvage a few results and just generate that good feeling that you've seen around the club. Although there there are glimpses of of um, something more sophisticated. I mean, you, you talked uh, in your piece about. Uh, I mean, there's a bit of crumbs to a starving man here, but apparently there was an there was an eight pass move against Leicester, which has already passed into legend. Uh, eight passes. Tell us about this eight, this eight pass move and why it got everybody so excited. Well, I think it's like you, you can probably find the video. It was, um, you know, it was widely shared around. And um, I think it was highlighted in the commentary on BT as well. It's, it's like an eight pass move really doesn't sound that impressive whatsoever. And if, if you watch it, it's nothing that you wouldn't see most of the top teams do most weeks. But I think from a United side, it, it, it's basically, it was against Leicester and it's very deep in their own half uh, under a lot of possession, uh, sorry, under a lot of pressure from from uh, Leicester's press. And uh, just the way that they managed to manipulate the ball out of that situation, building up kind of patiently and methodically, while also <laughs> in quite an aesthetically pleasing kind of way. Um, it, again, like those are simple kind of principles that you haven't really seen the United team uh, execute over the past couple of years um, or even really try to execute, you know, I think. Uh, and that's that's what I talk about when, I, when I'm saying about, I feel, I feel like even though these signature wins have come um, without the ball and on the counter-attack and in, in, a, in a style and in a manner that was very familiar from Solskjaer's days, um, whereas with Solskjaer, it sometimes felt like the result was an end within itself. And if they won one of these big games, he'd come in afterwards and he'd say, yeah, um, you know, this this result can be the turning point for us. And it was almost like three points for what matters. It does feel like within, you know, there's the, these little, like you say, crumbs <laughs> within United's performance that suggests that Ten Hag is working towards something bigger and something that you haven't really seen before. Um, but again, it's early days. And I think uh, it all sounds very positive at the minute. I, just the way that, this club has been run over the past few years, just the way that the squad is. There's going to be setbacks, further setbacks along the way. But um, for now, you can just see that the building blocks are being put in place. One thing that Ten Hag has that Solskjaer didn't have is Christian Eriksen in his midfield. And, you know, there were signs yesterday that we all know how good a player Eriksen is uh, and if they find the right sort of role for him tactically within that team he can do a lot of damage I was very impressed with him yesterday have you have you seen roughly what you think Ten Hag wants to get out of Eriksen within that midfield I think so I think um, you know people might have expected him to come and play a bit more of an advanced role but this is kind of what he was doing at Brentford last season um, I think Ten Hag recognised that it, it might be the fact that that's how he needs to play now um, since, obviously, the incident at the, at the Euros. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, he's, if, if you look at how, just how regularly he's played, really, Ten Hag's trusted him, um, kept him on. I think he's played all but 10 minutes of these first six games of the season, um, which, which speaks to his level of fitness, even, even if there were concerns around that, around that initially. Um, I think he has looked a little tired in some games, particularly the Liverpool game. And it, it's been interesting that Ten Hag kept it on that long. And there's maybe, I guess, with the disallowed goal yesterday and obviously the incident at Brentford, you just wonder whether in in that role, in the in a deeper role in midfield, whether he's just pressed a little bit too easily and whether players can get to him a little bit too quickly. 
But other than that, I mean, what he's doing, his vision, his composure, uh, and those kind of attributes and characteristics that he's showing in that midfield are, are really, again, something that you, you don't, necessarily associate with United teams over the past few years. Yeah, I, I like where he's playing, I have to say. Now, one of the other drawbacks is that he has to do more defending in that position. And he outlined it quite well yeah. yesterday when he was doing the post-match interview on Sky that he had to chase Odegaard around the place quite a lot, which you know doesn't sound like what we would associate with Christian Eriksen. But I actually think when he has the ball, he's, he, he's got, he seems to give him, he always gives himself time to look up anyway. He's playing it from deeper positions. You've got Bruno further forward who can do the kind of intricate final pass anyway. So it seems like quite a good combination. Certainly, yes, they worked well. They they combined brilliantly. I think they were probably involved in all three goals. Yeah, and I think you're right. The balance there with Bruno is slightly more advanced. And then McTominay's been playing there. And I think, you know, people might be scratching their heads as to why Casemiro has not come in yet. But McTominay, for all, I think, you know, in some aspects of his performance yesterday, was sometimes a little bit all over the place. But he was being that kind of physical presence that is, you know, I'm, I'm not saying Ericsson always needs his protection, but he is offering it there as well. And I expect Casemiro will come in and do that further down the line. But at the moment, um, you know, I asked Ten Hag the other week just about after after they brought in Casemiro, whether he, whether he wanted to add anything more to that midfield there because it's been such a priority for him and, and one that in his answer he kind of hinted that down the line, yes, he would. Maybe like better options in there, more options in there. But he, he said he basically feels that the balance that he's got at the moment is, you know, is... It, is much better than when he first came into the club when he definitely needed addressing. So, yeah, and I think you can see that and they're, they're all complementing each other really well. Um, we, uh, how impressed were you with Anthony? I mean, it's always difficult for a player in that position to get a lot of time on the ball, get a lot of moments on the ball when the other team has it most of the time, but uh, he did use it pretty well uh, when the ball came to him and it seems as though he's uh, he's... He he seems to uh, feel as though Old Trafford, is, you know, seventy six thousand stadium is kind of his natural environment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I think the the one kind of common thread that you've got between a lot of the signings that have come in this summer has been a, has been a sort of aggression. And Ten Hag's talked about the fight and the kind of fighting spirit. He keeps using that phrase quite a lot. Um, and with Anthony, I mean, maybe not so much clear in the performance, but in the celebration itself just to take that long to, to purposely go over to celebrate in front of the Arsenal fans and to really try and endear himself to the to the crowd. You, you can see that he's got that as well, and a, a kind of swagger and arrogance. I mean, I think it was only like a couple of minutes after he scored that goal that he was trying to lob Ramsdale from about 30 yards out. And you can... I think it was a bit further than that, actually. But, uh... I think it was... <laughs> you're probably right, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, he's got that swagger and you can sometimes... You can question his decision-making a little bit, I thought. Um, he also seems like very, very one-footed um, coming in off that right wing onto his left. I mean, the finish itself felt quite telegraphed and maybe, maybe stoppable from Ramsdale's perspective. But that's the kind of profile that's very rare in European football these days, the left-footed right winger. It's something United have missed, really. Um, they had Greenwood who kind of filled that role, but, you know... Yeah. They've, they've never really had an out-and-out winger in that sense. And um, I thought, yeah, yesterday he was he, he tailed off a little bit after the goal and obviously got substituted around the hour mark. So it wasn't, you know, a full display um, of his abilities. But no, generally, like, 
again, just little questions over his decision making and more footedness. But I thought it was a, you know, you can't really complain with the goal in your debut and managing, like I said, to to endear yourself to the crowd in the way you did with the celebration. A word then on the still league leaders, Arsenal, who had such a great start to the season. Um, Mikel Arteta seemed pretty frustrated afterwards. Kind of, how did we lose that? Seemed to be his general vibe. How did they lose? I mean, you know, Arsenal. Uh, I thought played some some lovely football. Obviously, they they kind of dominated in some ways of the game. So why did they end with such a disappointing result? Where do they fall down? Um, well, I mean, Arteta put it down to moments of indiscipline, and I think um, if the the two goals that really you know that win the game, the two Rashford goals, are a matter of the line probably being a little bit too high and perhaps pressing a little bit too high. Gabriel um, throwing himself to the ground didn't help. There'll be that as well. Um, so, you know, those those moments I think he identified as as the reasons for the defeat. And I but I kind of agreed with his analysis largely in that if you're an Arsenal supporter, you come away from that game obviously disappointed, but I feel like there was enough to take away to feel that you will be able to compete in the top four. But that possibly still just tempers the expectations that have built up over the over the past few weeks. And it's probably no bad thing. You know, I think this time of the season especially, you do have to always account for the schedule um, because we're really it's six games and people, you know, it's, it, has, it has such a huge impact. Do you think, and, sorry, sorry yeah, Mark, do, do you think they're going to finish ahead of Man United? I mean, uh, I saw Roy Keane after the game was just super confident. United asserts for the top four was his view, which is, you know, not a lot of people were saying two weeks, I don't think even he was saying two weeks ago. Um yeah. But, you know, what, what, who do you think is, is better of these two teams? Who, who's better set now? Um, I, honestly, uh, I'd probably back Arsenal to finish in the top four before United. At the moment, I don't think yesterday particularly changes that much in that regard. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that Ten Hag was mentioned repeatedly yesterday, the fact that they've been together with Arteta for much longer, the fact that his principles of play and his ideas are in place and, and settled and I think you've been able to see that over, the, over their start um, they they look like a more of a stable team I would say and for everything that I said before about how Ten Hag at the moment is is trying to show this pra- pragmatic side and is really kind of trying to cope with what, what he's got at his disposal and try and make something out of that I just feel that Arsenal probably have more in the tank going down all the way to May to, to get over the line. But, you, you know, like, there's probably there's probably one place up for grabs there that with, with Chelsea's problems. Um, Tottenham look like... Liverpool's problems. Just about the third place thing. Well, yeah, but I, I feel like Liverpool's performances generally have been, would still suggest that they're of, of the calibre to be able to get top four. I don't know if you disagree with that, but it, it's felt like for a long time that there's maybe only one, possibly two places up for grabs in that top four still and I, I would just about edge Arsenal still because simply because they've come closer before they're further along down the line and and they're, they're more settled under their manager at the moment than United are Mark lovely stuff thanks Emil cheers boys thanks oh, oh, oh. I better go to go now. Or 
first, 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 I have some coaching questions. It's too late now. What's that? Are you interviewing me or not? Seriously. Come on. Is there an explanation for this? Is there an explanation for this? You could be my mama and I'll be your boy. Original road boy, never my coy. We know you as a very good dark player. Not playing shit. Fuck's sake, I don't know him. But is there an explanation for that, Art? No, of course it's not. Of course it's not. How do you prepare for the last match then? These are the questions that you should be asking when we're live. No, we're live now. We're not live now. Yeah, we're live. There you are on television. I'm serious. Yeah. Why was I not told? Sorry? Should have been told. Oh, I thought you know. Well, I'll prepare. I'll prepare to say. If I win, I win. I cannot keep playing like this. This is no good. Would you care to answer your own final question there, Ken? Manchester United or Arsenal? Well, I agree, actually, with uh, with Mark for the same reasons, essentially, that, that Arteta's been at this for a while. And I think you can he's getting to where they want to be. I mean, you know, Arsenal um, are turning into a team that can win games that they dominate. You know what I mean? That's what they're trying to do in all their, all their matches. Um so yeah, I mean, I still, th- I, th- I think they're, they're pro. I mean, we have to see what happens with United, but definitely that like these results, I mean, to win four in a row, they're the only team that's done that apart from Arsenal in the league. The city haven't been able to do that. Um, and they've beaten big teams, you know? So, uh, so certainly things have, have radically improved from just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, and I think maybe the answer was sort of staring us in the face a little bit. I mean, when Harry Maguire came on, in the game, what was the first thing that happened? He's immediately backpedaling. Yeah. Was it Jesus? And and he, you know he's got him on the run, and Maguire is backing. Yeah, Harry well, Maguire now, come on, come immediately on. went. To, I mean, it was a big mistake by Casemiro, wasn't it? It was Casemiro who just like got robbed of possession, and Jesus was running straight at Harry Maguire. But it was hilarious to just look at Harry Maguire. It's like, okay, I'm Harry Maguire. So one of two things is going to happen here. One of three things is going to happen here. One, I'm going to be made look like a complete fool by Gabriel Jesus. Two, I'm going to have to pick up a yellow card, perhaps even a red card for following him. Or three, I don't be... I Or I let him pass me and he scores a goal into the top corner because I'm Harry Maguire. And, and that's, that's what, just happens. what happens. Yeah, but Lissandra Martinez's first role in the game... Martinez's first role in the game was to get... Was to, Get out muscled by Jesus, chase yeah. after him, kicked him to the ground, him tried to, to ground. clear him, tried, yeah. tried to clear Jesus. At Jesus, that point. Jesus did embarrass both starting Manchester United centre halves at various points as well. Mm. Yeah, just, but just it was just the Maguireness of it all. Just, it was just like just you know, just that thing when you've got a huge man, yeah, a, hu- a huge man on the run, three quarters run, trying to look behind him as he sort of you know, yeah. and, and it's all going towards the D, and and you just it just creates fear and commotion, and that's been missing from this from mm. this run because he just. He tried him, you know, and, and you saw Ronaldo come on. Ronaldo actually nearly set up a goal for Arsenal as well with a shoulder pass. Did you see that? He, he played a ball with a shoulder. You're like, wow, that's amazing. Oh, it's gone straight to the end. So I think that, that really has, you know, you don't want to overlook that big. I mean, it was a big decision politically for Ten Hag to take, but like he said, look, I suppose this is my team. I'm not going to go down necessarily with Harry Maguire and Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's do it, let's do it my way. Mm. If I'm going to go down, let's go down my way. It doesn't get much more glamorous than Real Madrid coming to town and that's what's happening in Glasgow tomorrow night in the Champions League. Celtic have set themselves up nicely for this one with a 4-0 win against Rangers in the old firm. Karen Canning, how are you? 
Very well, thank you guys for having me on. Barry Ferguson told readers of the Daily Record that Gio Van Bronckhorst had got Ange Postacoglu sussed, which didn't seem to... Be, the, the evidence didn't seem to be there to back up Barry Ferguson's bold assertions on Saturday. Well, I think there, there is something in the fact that Gio Van Bronckhorst might have had Ange sussed, but his players didn't because uh, Van Bronckhorst said afterwards, and even judging by his reaction on the sidelines, that he told Rangers what to expect on Saturday. And that was when, when Celtic, when the game is stopped, you know, they have this, um, one of Vange's sayings from early on in his, his time, and it's kind of been used as a slogan to sell season tickets and things, is we never stop, you know, so throw-ins, free kicks, the, the ball is back in play very quickly. And Rangers just didn't react to at least two of the goals, arguably, arguably three, um, one of which you could see Van Bronckhorst quite clearly pointing to like the the unmarked Celtic player whilst three of his own players just sort of dawdled around and were, were ball watching. So um so in that's in that aspect then you know Barry Ferguson might have got it right, but I think that was the only bit he got right. Uh which is, you know, in keeping with form for Barry. <laughs> well, there seems to be this, uh, and I'm sure Ferguson isn't the only person who's made these kinds of points there because it, it was put to the manager afterwards and he said, listen, this whole plan A thing, we used to hear this with Pep at Barcelona back in the day, anytime they had a, a rare negative result, it's like, well, what's his other plan besides this amazing plan that has them winning European Cups and La Liga titles the entire time? And it seems to be the same here. It's like, there's only one plan. It's just that type of football you talk about, high octane, all that kind of stuff. But I suppose if plan A is young, energetic players who never stop playing fast attacking football, then maybe that's all right. Yeah, and I think Postacoglu actually explained this pretty well himself towards the end of last week when they were summing up the transfer window and if you think of plan A only being yes, it's you know four three three inverted wingers, very high tempo. Yes, there is only one. There's only plan A. But this game could have showed the fact that what he's tried to build and what he explained he tried to build is even within that system, there's there's different players that do very different things. And you saw, I mean, Celtic in theory should have had a huge blow within the first minute because uh, Kyogo Furuhashi, who's the sort of star striker been in excellent form to the start of the season, went off with a shoulder injury um, yeah, in, in the first minute. And he's a very small, diminutive, quick, all about movement off the ball kind of striker. They bring in uh, Jackie Macus, who's like much more your sort of traditional big number nine penalty box, holds the ball up, maybe doesn't you know run in behind as much. So that's you know two strikers of very different styles, but they both fit perfectly into the system. Um, and it, you know, Celtic didn't miss a beat, despite the fact that Kyogo, you know, barely featured in the game at all. It's a hell of a rebuilding job, this really, isn't it? Because it's only like it's it's hardly eighteen months since Celtic uh, were being pilloried for going on like a booze coronavirus tour of Dubai. And they were all lying around um, on sun loungers, and and everybody was. I mean, it, it seemed to generally to to really enrage much of the Scottish nation. And and at that point they looked like they were the team had totally disintegrated. And this team now seems better than ever. Well I think you you missed out one key point there, uh, Ken, which is, you know, the Shane Duffy factor. I mean look look what's happened to Brighton since he left there as well. You know, it's uh yeah, maybe this is something I, that Ireland is pretty joking with that. But uh, yeah, I think that the big thing was in terms of the rebuilding job around this time last year so this summer it's sort of building upon the the foundations of of what they did the last 
summer transfer window, which started terribly. And there was a few instances where uh, players were given contracts just after Ange came in, just because they needed bodies, basically. They'd lost a lot of players. They started the season with guys they knew were going to leave and did leave like on the last day of the transfer windows, like Edward went to Crystal Palace, Christie went to Bournemouth. But in, in the meantime, managed to get in. And what's been quite remarkable is the recruitment they brought in um, from all different parts of the world. So you've got the Japanese guys, which Postkogo obviously knew very well from his, his time in Japan, but you're picking up sort of gems for relatively little money from the English leagues. Jota has scored a great goal at the, the weekend from sort of Benfica Academy. Abada, who also scored at the weekend from Israel. You know, so there's this sort of vast scouting network um, and all, always working under the budget of a team in the Scottish Premiership. And for, for Celtic standards, they spend quite a lot of money this summer and, and spending £20 million. But if you compare that to you know what, what's happening in, in England, um, it's, it's nothing. And yet, to pretty much not have a failure over the past uh, 18 months is, is great work in the transfer market. But I think it also it shows just what a good job Postacoglu is doing because you could you could buy the same players and under a different manager, they wouldn't work nearly as well. And, and what he's done um it's kind of shows all the hallmarks of good management so he's, he's a very good communicator particularly when it comes to getting a message out there with the support and because of that the, the support got on sides very early on even even through the bumps of the start of last season when the results weren't quite as good and the football um wasn't as good he's improved a lot of the players that were there already and um, guys like i thought probably the best example in the past few weeks is Left back uh, Greg Taylor, who was kind of signed when they from Kilmarnock when they sold Tierney, and it was kind of a feeling that this guy, you know, he's, he's not nearly at Tierney's level. He's not really been really a sort of Celtic level um, player, but has improved markedly over the past year or so, playing in that sort of inverted fullback position that um, you know Guardiola has kind of made um, more common um, and. On top of that, all these guys that he's brought in from you know, all over the world um, netted them together very well with a, a very good sort of team spirit and has them playing this really exciting, um, really attacking brand of football. And, and that's what's going to be really interesting going now into the, the Champions League because so far this season, they've been destroying almost everyone. Obviously, they had the 9-0 last weekend as well. It felt like Rangers was going to be the first real test of that. You know, this is a team in Rangers that got to a Europe League final last year, um, have knocked PSV out of the Champions League qualifiers, and they weren't able to to match it. So now it goes up a level again against Real Madrid, and it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes because even when Scottish teams have done relatively well given the the budgetary um, restraints. In the Champions League, it's always tended to be a sort of counter-punching style. You think the night that Celtic beat Barcelona when Lennon was manager and they had something like 12% possession or, or even Rangers in recent years when they've done very well, it's been counter-attacking sort of style of football. Celtic won't do that even against Real Madrid and it could go terribly wrong. You know, we could be 
here on uh, on Wednesday morning saying, you know, it's all very well for the Coglu having his principles, mm-hmm. but you've got seven men chasing head of the ball against Real Madrid and Vinicius is running in behind. You know, it's, it's suicide at that level, but that's the way they're going to play. And it's just going to be fascinating to see how it goes against that higher quality of opposition. Yeah, I mean, because this was always the... I mean, I said they're, they're better than ever, which, I mean, it was maybe a bit unfair to sort of the Rodgers team, which was pretty good, you know, um, you know, unbeaten season and played some great football um, in Scotland. But the Champions League was always the, the big disappointment there. You know, I mean, the, the, you know, they lost 7-0 to Barcelona, they lost 7-1 to PSG, I think they lost 5-0 at home to PSG. Yeah, it was, it was just, you, you just got used to the, they, and they did have some nasty groups uh, also, I, I should say, but they, they just got used to sort of being hammered in that competition. And, uh, you know, how confident are you that this is going to be different? I think the really important thing for tomorrow night against Madrid is that it's just it's to compete, even if they get beat. And there were games under Rodgers where they did that as well. They did a, a 3-3 with Man City in, in Guardiola's first season. I think it drew twice with City, actually, in, yeah, in that group. Um, they lost 2-1 to Bayern at home, but again, it was a very close game and you know, it could have gone, gone either way. And that's the important thing for tomorrow night is not to get as you say, one of those games like they had against uh, PSG or, or Barca away a, f- a few years ago, like, to have that feeling that because this is Celtic's first game in the Champions League for five years, so it's you know they've been out of the competition for quite a while um, and haven't even really in that time pulled up any trees in, in the Europa League. So um, it's going to be a big step up. But I think if they do compete and even if they lose the game, but it's close and they've, they've shown some of the qualities that they have so far this season, there will be hope going into the rest of the group because we've got Shakhtar and Leipzig. Now, Shakhtar obviously um, massively debilitated by what's happened to the situation in Ukraine. Lots of their Brazil, pretty much all their Brazilians, I think, are, are either away to other clubs or on loan. Um, will be playing their home games in, in Poland. And Leipzig um, also having a good start to the season, got beat 4 0 themselves at the weekend. So, if they can compete against Madrid, it will, you know, um, there will be positive signs there going forward to the rest of the games in the group that they they can, you know, really do something in the Champions League, even if that's just, you know, trying to get second place in the group behind uh, behind Real Madrid. Okay, tomorrow night, eight o'clock, Celtic against Real Madrid should be good. Thanks so much, Karen. Cheers, guys. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations, they are amazing. Stupendous. i got to say, look at those fixtures tomorrow night. Celtic, Celtic Real Madrid is the one to watch, isn't it? Celtic Real Madrid tomorrow at 8 o'clock. What else is on? Oh? Well, you've got PSG, Juventus, Sevilla, Manchester City... Hand, you know, but I think there's, there's more. It's been a while. Yeah, no, I think I think Celtic Real Madrid at least until you know if Madrid go three 0 up in the first twenty yeah. minutes. I might switch over, Napoli, but I don't see that happening. Liverpool away to Napoli on Wednesday night. Tottenham Hotspur against welcome your old club Marseille to Tottenham Hotspur. That's a niche gag for very very long time <laughs> listeners. There, uh, we'll wrap a little Easter egg for all you forty uh, year olds. <laughs> Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Thank Owen. You. And thank, oh, you and thank you indeed for you, Ken. Thanks so much for listening. A reminder to sign up to the World Service to hear all of our Champions League coverage. You'll also be hearing all episodes of the pod ad-free if you become a member on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Which one is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home. They never got home. They never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. 